The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. in Washington, 12 noon in Kiev, Ukraine. And here is your top five at five stocks holding up as Ukrainians dig in. Futures flat to higher as the world waits and watch what happens on the ground. As the fighting picks up, oil is moving up. Oil nearing 110 per barrel. As OPEC meets today, will Saudi Arabia ride to the rescue with more supply? We are getting out. The list of American companies cutting off Russia grows again, including one big defense contractor. On Capitol Hill, President Biden giving his first State of the Union, but it's what he didn't talk about that is raising some eyebrows. And as inflation gets even hotter, Fed Chair Jay Powell back on the hot seat today. It is all happening on this Wednesday, March 2nd. This is Worldwide Exchange. Well, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, and welcome from wherever in the world that you may be watching. I am Brian Sullivan. Thank you very much for joining us on this Wednesday. Let us get right down to it. Stock futures, they are in the green. Not a lot, but they are up one or two-tenths of a percent across the board. The Dow, the S&P, and the NASDAQ all rising right now. This coming after stocks fell again on Tuesday with all three major indexes dropping more than one and a half percent on the day. So right now, and it's early, markets do appear to be stabilizing somewhat. There have been some huge moves in the bond market in the past two days. In fact, the benchmark 10-year yield is now back below 1.8 percent. That's its lowest level since early January. Remember, just a couple of weeks ago, before the Russian war began, we were above 2 percent. But while those move, nothing compares to the move in the price of oil, climbing above 110 per barrel, spiking on a number of factors. There is very real concern about Russian oil supplies going forward as companies and countries either don't want or are unable to buy it. Remember, it's also hard to get things like ships just to transport it, even if you could buy it, because of financing problems. And there are a lot of market factors in options as well that are sending some buyers scrambling It is really kind of a trifecta of problems for oil right now. OPEC does meet later on today, and we will see if Saudi Arabia or the UAE are able to break with the group's current agreement and add more barrels to the market. It is unlikely. They are expected to just roll through on their current 400,000 barrel per day production increase. But it is OPEC. You never know. We will find out in a couple of hours. In the meantime, let's get a check on the early action overseas and how the world is reacting not only to what is happening in Ukraine, but what is happening with oil and energy prices as they skyrocket all across the UK and Europe as well. Rosanna Lockwood's in London. Rosanna. Brian, I think that's got so much to do with what we're seeing, actually, in the European bourses this morning, especially if we can call it outperformance by the FTSE 100 here in London. It's been the green throughout the session. It's now at three quarters of a percent. Meantime, the Cat Cajon in Paris, the DAX in Germany have just turned positive as well. So we did have a lot of red, not so much anymore. And it's energy, it's commodities, it's basic resources. As you mentioned, with all those prices spiking and companies like BP and Total and Shell exiting some of their projects in Russia, 
what you're actually seeing here is a bit more confidence through those sectors anyway, but not all sectors. Let's take a look at airlines, for example, something we wanted to highlight, because with the closure of airspace to Russian aircraft, of course, announcements by Airbus and Boeing as well this morning that they're going to stop servicing uh, Russian jets. We have seen some negativity, although it's now actually turning positive. So you're seeing IAG, owner of uh, British Airways, up two tenths of a percent here in London. Uh, Wizz Air, which is a very popular uh, airline here in Europe, it's actually now up 1.1%, which is a major turnaround. It was down almost 7% just an hour ago at the start of uh, our show here in Europe. So we do keep monitoring the space. Airlines having to contend with a lot of uncertainty at the moment. Let's take a look, though, at those oil majors that I mentioned. Uh, Turning back to your story about the spiking in prices, because BP, I mentioned here, it's up nearly 4.5%, Shell up nearly 5%, Total 3.5%. So this exiting or this news that they're going to stop financing projects in Russia whilst it was an initial hit. Of course, the markets have digested this. And a lot of these companies now sailing through on these huge pops in energy prices with Brent crude trading above $112 a barrel so far in the session. Goldman Sachs actually putting out a note this morning that it could go as high as $115 a barrel. So only $4 off that so far. ENI, meantime, any that's up around 7 tenths of a percent. We've had news out basically all of these energy companies in the last 24 hours or so about their relationships with Russia. And so far, as you can see, holding up pretty well and makes a very complex supply and demand picture, Brian. Yeah, and as you noted on Goldman Sachs, Rosanna, they said that basically that 60 million barrel release is equivalent to about one month of added supply if a third of Russia's exports are taken off the market, not enough to contain prices. Yeah, they're talking about it being purely symbolic at this point, and I've heard plenty of other voices in the markets agreeing with that assessment, Brian. Yeah, it's also the, the type and quality of oil as well. Rosanna Lockwood in London, big moves there. Rosanna, thank you very much. All right, now to the very latest on the war in Ukraine. Russia stepping up its bombardment of that nation's biggest cities and even more populated areas. It is now the seventh day of fighting. Some military experts now expecting Putin's offensive strategy to turn more brutal as he looks to regain momentum lost in the fight. Among the latest high-profile targets hit by Russian artillery, a television broadcasting tower in Kiev, video seen here, which knocked out transmission for a short period of time. Officials also reporting a secondary explosion near a Holocaust memorial. That blast apparently left five dead. This is that reportedly 40-mile-long convoy of Russian vehicles continues its advance slowly toward Kyiv, although there is some word that the convoy has been slowed by problems such as lack of gasoline, lack of food, and perhaps even hesitancy by some Russian soldiers. Meantime, invading Russian forces also making a new push into the strategic ports of Odessa and Maripol in the south. As the fighting continues, the economic ripple effects continue. Major Russian bank Suburbank, which has seen the value of its London-listed stock cut basically to zero, says it is pulling out of European markets amid tightening Western sanctions. Sanctions that are forcing Russia's central bank to keep stock markets in Moscow now closed for a third straight day. There is more fallout here, too, as American Express says it is cutting off relationships with impacted bank partners in Russia. And Boeing says it will suspend major operations there as well on things like parts, maintenance, and technical support for Russia's airlines. All right, now to domestic issues here in the States. President Biden using the first 12 minutes of his State of the Union last night to address the war in Ukraine, as well as announce the U.S. is joining its allies in banning Russian planes from American airspace. 
NBC's Bree Jackson is in Washington, D.C. with more on Biden's response to Ukraine, as well as their other highlights from last night's speech. Good morning, Bree. Good morning, Brian. Well, President Biden started his speech talking about the crisis in Ukraine, but much of his address did focus on domestic priorities, including investing in child care and getting prices under control. President Biden delivering his first State of the Union address at a critical moment in history. An unwavering resolve that freedom will always triumph over tyranny. Blue and yellow could be seen throughout the chamber, a sign of support for Ukraine. The president highlighting unified actions taken against Russian President Vladimir Putin. He badly miscalculated. He thought he could roll into Ukraine and the world would roll over. Then pivoting to his domestic agenda. COVID-19 no longer need control our lives. Touting successes such as vaccinations and the infrastructure law, while also recognizing challenges. And with all the bright spots in our economy, record job growth, higher wages, too many families are struggling to keep up with their bills. Inflation is robbing them of gains they thought otherwise they would be able to feel. I get it. To help ease inflation, President Biden wants companies to boost domestic manufacturing and his unity agenda passed. We can do these things. It's within our power. There are also moments of bipartisan applause. We should all agree the answer is not to defund the police. During the Republican response, Iowa Governor Kim Reynolds accused President Biden of being weak. The president's approach to foreign policy has consistently been too little, too late. Echoing criticism from many Republicans, Reynolds blames the Biden administration for rising crime rates, pandemic shutdowns, and other challenges facing Americans. They're tired of politicians who tell parents they should sit down, be silent, and let government control their kids' education and future. The president taking an optimistic tone. The State of the Union is strong because you, the American people, are strong. Delivering a message of strength and unity. And this afternoon, President Biden will travel to Wisconsin to continue to promote his infrastructure plans. Brian. Bree Jackson, NDC. Bree, good morning. Thank you very much. Well, that is now that investors have to deal with today. Fed Chairman Jay Powell is set to testify before the House Financial Services Committee as he tries to convince lawmakers that the central bank is in the driver's seat when it comes to pushing down inflation. This is earlier estimates for as many as seven rate hikes this year are coming back down, now scheduled or at least thought of to be about four and a half based on Wall Street estimates. Joining us now is Malcolm Etheridge, Executive Vice President, CIC Wealth, and he joins us now. Malcolm, it's not like you don't have enough to deal with. Let's see. We're dealing, obviously, with an escalating war in Ukraine, a spike in inflation, particularly in energy, and a concern about whether or not the Federal Reserve is going to be able to pull off sort of this ability to to walk the tightrope between not getting too hot, but successfully bringing down inflation. What are you advising your clients to do with their equities right now? Well, uh, let me just say the Fed has made it very clear that they reserve the right to to make any aggressive, any more aggressive moves than they uh, initially led us to believe, you know, call it six months ago as we started to get closer and closer to this. But also to your point, The recent spike in energy prices, 7% or so, has made it much tougher uh, to make that call. 
and to to actually go as aggressive, maybe a half a point like everybody had been predicting for March. So it's definitely going to make this March 15 meeting uh, much more pivotal than what we probably thought it was going to be. Uh, and also maybe more eventful than we actually thought it would be. But more to your question, I think moments like this are actually very indicative of why we actually encourage clients to uh, rebalance on pre-planned days uh, and also uh, to dollar cost average on specific days of the week, irrespective of what's happening in the markets, because it's just way too tough to predict what's going to happen tomorrow's news headline if the last four trading yep. days or so have taught us anything. Yeah, well said. I mean, listen, we can interview, quote, experts all day long on war, ex-admiral, ex-general. Nobody knows exactly what is going to happen. Perhaps it's got to play out. History will be the judge when it is all over. But if you loved stocks, not you, but if people loved stocks a few months ago, prices have come down 20, 40, in some cases more than 50 percent. And if yeah. interest rates can rise only marginally, doesn't that mean that if, if the world turns out okay, there may be some some opportunities here? Well, for context, if you were to look back at 2014, when Russia did a similar thing to Crimea, they annexed uh, Crimea in March, maybe February of 2014. Uh, the market did a similar, had a similar reaction, right? If if you were to look at an Econ 101 textbook, it would tell us that because uh, a war has broken out among two superpowers, uh, that means that stock prices will be down broadly. People will search for safe haven assets such as treasuries and commodity prices will spike, especially oil, which is precisely what's happening right now. And so you just look at what happened coming out of that in 2014. By the July 4th uh, Independence Day holiday, the S&P bounced about 6% from where it initially uh, fell in reaction to the annexation of Crimea. And so obviously we can't look at that and say that's exactly what's going to happen this time. But more to your point, we can say that uh, being in the market is definitely the, the better place to be versus out and watching uh, and waiting and you know trying to find the perfect time to say this is the bottom because to the point you just made none of us knows yeah yeah history will tell us but we'll be looking in the rearview mirror leave us with some ideas here we've got some stock stories coming up we're going to talk about russia one of the names is amex they're making a move there but more importantly here we know that americans they are out shopping they are out spending is that is why you like a name like an american express well, uh, quite frankly, we were encouraged by Amex because last month, you know, they reported strong fourth quarter earnings, uh, especially to your point, because we hit record breaking credit card spending in 2021. But frankly, the financial sector has not looked like uh, it's going to fare very well in the short term, simply because of all of the sanctions working their way through the system um, that we currently didn't have the expectation of, you know, call it two weeks ago before this thing escalated to where it is. And banks had already been struggling to improve their net interest margins. And the thing that was going to help them was the increase in interest rates from the Fed. So, uh, yes, we do like American Express as a name longer term. But in the short term, I don't know necessarily that the financials uh, are what you want to be adding to your portfolio uh, looking for that that initial bounce right here. Yeah, Amex, kind of a unique and, and different name, getting lumped in with, quote, banks, although its model, of course, is very different. Malcolm Etheridge, CIC Wealth. Malcolm, a pleasure. Thanks for getting up early. We'll see you soon. Take care. Thanks, Mark. All right, and speaking of the markets, this is a biggie. Tomorrow, right here, you're going to hear our conversation with legendary investor Bill Gross. It's his first interview in years. He'll talk to us about what he is seeing in the bond market with the Federal Reserve and maybe even what stocks he likes right now. That is tomorrow morning 
right here on Worldwide Exchange. In the meantime, we are just getting started on a very busy Wednesday. And when we come back, it is what President Biden did not say last night that is getting some attention today. We'll let you know what that is and dissect more the State of the Union speech. Oil surging again and releasing more barrels from the SPR not helping. So what does OPEC do today? RBC Salima Croft is here. She'll weigh in. Very busy hour still ahead. Futures up, oil up. We're back right after this. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. Welcome back. Time now for some big money movers. And today it is four key stocks to watch. All right, stock number one is Rivian. It is slightly lower with some sticker shock that buyers do not want to hear. The EV truck and SUV maker raising prices, in some cases by many thousands of dollars. Company citing inflation, rising costs, and supply chain problems. A sticker price for the R1T pickup will go up by about 17%, and the R1S SUV by about 20%. That is leading some customers to complain that they may cancel orders. Stock number two, SoFi. It is surging 13% right now. Revenues beating forecasts. And it says it added a record 523,000 new members. It expects its in-house bank to begin boosting results more meaningfully in the second quarter. Stock number three, Salesforce, up 3%. Revenue topping $7 billion for the first time in the fourth quarter. Although adjusted earnings did fall just shorts of estimates, companies also raising its outlook for the year. It says it will focus on last year's purchase of Slack rather than looking for any new acquisition targets. And stock number four is a big-time retailer making a big-time move higher. And that is Nordstrom. Look at that. Nordstrom stock, it is up more than 30%. Its results were strong and its outlook very optimistic. People are out shopping and they are spending. Nordstrom also expects to be in a position to begin paying a dividend again. Wow. Nordstrom, JWN, up more than 30%. All right, still on deck. Speaking of spending, just how bad is it really out there with prices? And where are they likely headed? We're going to bring back our wall of inflation to show you some very big and some very likely painful moves in major commodities that you buy, need, and use every day. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? 
AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. All right, welcome back. The economic and supply chain shocks from Russia's attack on Ukraine are still being added up. And now global shipping in and around Russia is essentially coming to a halt. We are just getting headlines that the Lithuanian government will vote today on whether to ban Russian ships from all of its ports. This after shipping giant Maersk announcing it is halting any new ocean, air or rail booking to or from Russia. It is the latest in a series of announcements in shipping, which controls 90 percent of the world's trade. Maersk is joining Singapore's Ocean Network Express, Germany's Hapag Lloyd and MSC Mediterranean Shipping and announcing a temporary stoppage on all Russian cargo bookings. These are some of the biggest ship owners in the world. And that is not all. Countries around the world closing their ports to Russian ships and in some cases even seizing ships linked to sanctions or Russian individuals. In the last 24 hours, a Russian flagged oil tanker was not allowed to dock in Malaysia. Other nations have done the same. Example, In France, a huge ship carrying cars was seized in the English Channel on Saturday. Federal officials say the ship is connected to the son of a former Russian spy chief. All right, all of this happening is the fighting on the ground getting worse. Russia intensifying its attacks on several key cities. We will take you back to Ukraine with their very latest efforts to hold off invading Russian forces. We are back right after this. Stocks holding up as Ukraine's dig in. Stock futures are slightly higher, even as oil surges to nearly $110 per barrel. Ukrainian citizens facing more shelling and more danger as Russian troops look to advance on Kiev. But are Russian soldiers having second thoughts? We're live on the ground with the very latest. President Biden's first State of the Union address hitting the Ukraine war, as well as inflation as he looks to do something about skyrocketing prices breathe some life into his domestic agenda. But it's perhaps what he did not say that is catching more attention. It is Wednesday, March 2nd, and this is Worldwide Exchange. Well, good morning. Welcome or welcome back, everybody. It's just about 5.30 here on a Wednesday. Let us get right now to it. Stock futures, they are rising. They are not up a bunch, but they're up about two-tenths of one percent across the board in the S&P, Dow, and the NASDAQ. We are seeing some green on the screen. NASDAQ futures actually accelerating their upward pace here in just the last 20 minutes or so. They are now up 119. All this after investors had different ideas on Tuesday. They sent all the major averages down more than one and a half percent, selling intensifying really throughout the later half of the day, that not continuing this morning. In the bond market, though, some very big buyers have come in in the past 24 to 48 hours. And as the price of bonds go up, yields come down. The 10-year yield is now back below 1.8%. It is trading at its lowest level since early January. 
Stocks and bonds on the move, but nothing compares to the move in the price of oil. It is nearly 110 per barrel here, even more overseas. Really, you got a confluence of factors happening all at the same time. Obviously, of course, front and center, very real concern about Russian oil supplies going forward as companies and countries either don't want or are unable to buy Russian oil. Remember, even if you were to buy it to try to get a ship to transport it is risky. You may not be able to get financing. The ship could even be seized. But it's not just fundamental factors as well. A lot of things like oil options positioning heading into the last couple of weeks that are now sending buyers scrambling. So really kind of a trifecta of problems for oil right now. And by the way, drivers, as gasoline prices are set to rise as well, OPEC does meet later on today. And we will find out if Saudi Arabia or the UAE is willing and or able to break with the group's current agreement and add more barrels to the market. RBC's Halima Croft, nobody knows more about OPEC than her, will join us in a couple of minutes to break down exactly what she sees going on today. It is not just oil that is moving in a big way as well. Many metals are also breaking out to the upside, including one that we talked about, one to watch, a few months ago, palladium. It is very important in things like the making of cars and trucks and it has been rising lately. It is not alone as well. Aluminum and nickel, all these things that we don't even think about are on the rise. And we're going to get more on everything that is moving higher. It is your morning RBI. And if you think inflation is bad now, and I'm sorry to do it to you, wait around, watch the RBI. We'll show you some of these recent moves. But for now, something more important, the developing situation in Ukraine and Russia's intensifying assault on that nation. Forces attacking several key cities, including Kiev and Kharkiv, ramping up their bombardment, firing missiles on targets in populated areas. In the meantime, that reportedly 40-mile-long convoy of Russian tanks and troops continues its slow but steady march toward Kiev. NBC News' Matt Bradley is live in Lviv, Ukraine, in the western part of the nation where he just arrived. Matt, it's good to have you back on. Uh, there have been some reports, and I'm going to try to be optimistic here, Matt, that that convoy of tanks and troops is facing logistical issues, lack of gasoline, lack of food, and some very unconfirmed but chatter that maybe some of these Russian troops may be having second thoughts. What are you hearing now on the ground in Ukraine? Yeah, I mean, Brian, I'm hearing the same thing that you're hearing. You know, you saw the Ukrainian ambassador to the United Nations reading that really poignant uh, set of, uh, of text messages from a deceased, recently deceased Russian soldier. And this is, of course, according to the ambassador uh, between this deceased Russian soldier, killed Russian soldier and his mother back in Russia, where he described how he had been told to go to Crimea uh, by the military in order to start training. And then he ended up being embroiled in a war that he wasn't expecting and uh, facing off against a population who he thought would welcome him or he was told would welcome him. And this is the sad truth of this situation. It sounds as though a lot of these soldiers have become very risk-averse. They might be well in over their head. But these are the Spetsnats. These are the special forces of the Russian military. And yet they still have been dramatically underperforming compared to what was predicted by Western military analysts and by myself, by any casual observer. The Russian military had an it, but overwhelming it, but force. This was always their battle to lose. And so far they're losing it. Sure, but to win a battle, you've got to have motivation. You've got to have will. The United States learned that in Vietnam, that the Viet Cong were very much more aggressive in fighting back because it was their nation 
They did not want us there. And a lot of American troops obviously said, what are we doing here? We don't necessarily have an issue with this nation. Trying to understand that as well. And I was talking to my children, and maybe this is overly simplistic, Matt. I said, imagine if the U.S. went to war with Canada. They have We have relatives there. We have friends there. They are a people that we think about just like ourselves. We travel back and forth. And you wonder what the motivation of the Russian soldier is going into Ukraine wondering, I have cousins in Kiev. My grandmother was born here. You just wonder how much motivation they may have, especially given how they no doubt are hearing, how, even with Russian propaganda, how their world and their nation is being cut off from everybody else in the globe. Well, Brian, I can answer that quite simply. Their motivation was liberation. They were told by Vladimir Putin and his lieutenants that they were liberating a Russian-speaking population or even the Ukrainian-speaking population like out here in the west of the country who wanted to be part of the Russian project. You know, it wasn't so long ago that this whole nation was referred to in Moscow as Little Russia. You know, that diminutive is now very politically incorrect. But it really just goes to show how in Moscow they really do see Ukrainians as their brother. Their little brother. And so a lot of these Russian soldiers were clearly told that they were liberating a population that was the subject yeah. of oppression and even genocide, as Vladimir Putin uh, told other diplomats and other leaders in the, in the world. You know, he told Olaf Scholz that just a couple of weeks ago. So they must have expected that they were going to be greeted with open arms. And I was just in Kharkiv, which yeah. is the second largest country, city in this country. It is a Russian majority, Russian speaking majority city. And a lot of people that I spoke with said, yes, we have relatives in Russia. We studied in Russia. Some people said they were born in Russia, uh, but they said that we were willing to die for Ukraine. And it's surprising that Vladimir Putin would think that they would be welcomed in a place like Kharkiv. Uh, clearly, they weren't. And now they're just bombarding it and bombarding the civilian population. That's no way uh, to greet um, yeah. a population who you are pretending, at least, to be liberating. And taking out the frustration, no doubt, of an insanely massive miscalculation on the part of Vladimir Putin about the Ukrainian people's will to remain Ukrainian. Matt Bradley, glad you're safe. Glad you're on. Thank you very much. Well, Ukraine, of course, front and center during the beginning of President Biden's State of the Union address last night. President vowing to, in, quote, inflict pain on Russian President Putin over his unprovoked invasion, specifically targeting Russia's oligarchs. Biden also using the speech to target his biggest domestic priorities, including combating inflation and trying to revive his stalled economic plan. Let's bring in now Jimmy Pethokoukas, American Enterprise Institute economic policy analyst, CNBC contributor as well. Uh, Jimmy, I could give you my take. Nobody cares. I, I put it. I put sort of four <laughs> takes on Twitter about what I thought. I want to hear, though what you thought about the speech last night, the reviews, as far as I've seen them, and in the NBC News analysis with Chuck Todd and everybody else last night, not exactly glowing. Uh, first of all, Brian, your, your Twitter takes are very powerful. Let's, let's give them all due credit. Uh, my, my take is that you really saw that this is a president who's simply not in control of his presidency. Who is in control? Uh, Jay Powell. Uh, has to try to guide this economy to some sort of, uh, you know, soft landing with inflation. Uh, Vladimir Putin, what's happening, what's happening in Ukraine. Uh, that's a big factor. Uh, you, you see Joe Manchin. Joe Manchin was like the hidden person at this uh, at that State of the Union. 
his uh, Biden's agenda has shrunk because of Joe Manchin and obviously the pandemic. Uh, all those things need to sort of cut Joe, uh, Joe Biden and the Democrats way over the next few years. Yeah. But this is going to be kind of a disaster for them politically. It was very strong on Ukraine. It was nice to see everybody back together. It was nice to see the bipartisan cheering around Ukraine when they got to the domestic side as well. Of course, things got very different. But I think your take, Jimmy, and my take might be the same, which is I was actually shocked when it ended because I'm kind of waiting. Where's the part when they start talking about China? He mentioned Xi Jinping, I think, once. He talked a lot about manufacturing in America. But the lack of even recognition of China, I found bizarre. Uh, I think, it, I, yeah, it's not mentioning what is, I think, legitimately your greatest geopolitical challenge. Maybe not this you know, exact moment, but longer term, I think it is pretty bizarre. Also, because if, if Joe Biden and Democrats really want to try to get something done over the next few years, it's probably going to be things about China. I mean, Biden did mention this, you know, what he now calls, I'm not sure if this is the new official name, the bipartisan competitiveness bill. Uh, you sell that bill with China about, about, about getting semiconductor manufacturing in the U.S., about R&D to compete with China and expand the productive capacity of the economy to fight inflation. I think everything that can happen in Washington is probably going to have a China theme to it. And then to not mention it, either for geopolitical reasons, or as a way of re-energizing your domestic agenda. Yeah, I think that's a good yeah. word for it. Bizarre. Well, it was bizarre because China, we know, is, is so much of the issues. To your point, maybe not right now with what's going on in Ukraine, but longer term, that is going to be the challenge. I also found this, Jimmy, to be a massive shift to the right, back to the center. He talked about funding the police. He actually referenced the border. We know that hundreds of thousands of people have died of fentanyl uh, overdoses in the last few years. So much of that, as the president mentioned, and as we reported on, on being seized, is coming across the border. So talking about the border issues, talking about funding, not defunding the police, it felt like this was an attempt, maybe it's too late, but a massive swing toward the middle. Right. I mean, he ended with this unity agenda and dealing with opioid abuse, mental health, including inside that kind of a, a attack on, uh, on big tech, uh, the war on cancer. Listen, the, 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 progress, the progressive agenda that you saw embedded within Build Back Better, that's not happening, all right? So he has to find something. And he's going to be dealing with Republicans almost assuredly yeah. uh, for the half of his term. So might as well get started now. Yeah, and at the end, uh, there was sort of that ad lib. And listen, there were, there were a few slip-ups. He said Iranian instead of Ukrainian at one point. At the end, he said literally ad lib, go get him. <laughs> There's been a lot of speculation about what he was talking about. What's your take on what he meant by go get them or go get him? Listen, I, I go for the simple explanation. Uh, that, that is actually something I often end conversations with, like, hey, see you later, go get him. I think that's all that was. It was a little kind of just a peppy little... I would not read much into it. Yeah, but we're the media. We're going to read much into it. Jimmy Petakoukas, no. always appreciate your insight. <laughs> Jimmy, thank you very much. Go get him, Jimmy. Have a great day. Go get him. All right, coming up, RBC Salima Croft is standing by as OPEC and OPEC Plus prepare to convene with surging oil prices and the invasion of Ukraine. Heading over their latest meeting, will they add more barrels to the market? Can the OPEC dealing with Russia 
survive this moment in time. Halima's up in a few moments. Oil prices, by the way, surging again today, both here and overseas. We are seeing the price of oil at nearly $110 per barrel. Stock futures, though, they're holding up. They're higher across the board. And we're back right after this. All right, welcome back. Take a look at the price of oil. It is surging again, touching $110 per barrel overnight here, even higher overseas. All this is OPEC meets virtually today with, at least so far, Russian officials expected to be in attendance. The group also widely expected to just roll on with its 400,000 barrel per day increase in production. But there are many bigger questions hanging over OPEC and the oil markets right now, other than just what they're going to do with output. So let's bring in someone who knows more about OPEC than anyone. That is Salima Croft, Global Head of Commodity Strategy at RBC, CNBC contributor, and is live in Los Angeles. So I don't know if you stayed up or just got up. But either way, Halima, we certainly do appreciate it. Um, wondering what to expect from today's meeting. You wrote it in a note the other day, Halima. Can the OPEC plus, really, I mean Russia, can that coalition hold together given everything that is going on right now? I mean, right now, it does not look like OPEC's willing to divest itself from Russia like many corporations. But if this, as we expect, this crisis intensifies, key OPEC countries are going to come under enormous pressure to put additional barrels on the market. Some people are talking about that we've potentially lost already 2 million barrels of Russian crude and product exports because of essentially a buyer strike. We do not have formal energy sanctions on yet, but companies... Trading houses, refineries are saying they do not want to touch those Russian barrels. Yep. And you're making such a critical point. And I think this is what people need to understand. Russia can continue to pump oil, but eventually it's going to run out of places to put it. If there are no buyers and there are no ships to put it on, because even storage ships maybe won't take that Russian oil because they're afraid, hey, if we buy Russian oil, The Army or the Navy could come seize my ship. No, thank you. Eventually, Russia may have to stop or slow down its production of oil. Of course, the big variable here, Halima, is China. What are they going to do? Right. I mean, absolutely. I mean, we see indications that China, India are taking some more Russian barrels. But we do not think it's going to compensate for what we are seeing, again, in terms of how many global corporations, again, we're talking about shippers, refiners, trading houses, banks that will not finance this trade anymore. We're seeing a wholesale divestiture from the Russian commodity business. And so this, again, is not just an energy story, Brian. I mean, look what is happening to wheat prices right now. We could be talking about major food inflation stories. But again, OPEC is going to come under a lot of pressure because we saw the reaction to the stockpile release yesterday. People are saying simply not enough with the SPR and the IEA release. So OPEC, you know, you have countries like Saudi Arabia. They're the only ones really sitting on spare capacity right now. They can provide on a sustainable basis. Yeah, and the natural gas move hitting fertilizer costs. A lot of people don't realize fertilizers are chemicals made from nat gas. Those prices have more than doubled in the last couple of months, to your point, food inflation is very bad. By the way, don't steal the RBI, Halima. That, that is the RBI. We have it coming up in a few minutes. Uh, what do you think His Royal Highness Abdulaziz bin Salman does today trying to lead this meeting? Uh, is it just going to be my, my guess is there's no way we get a press conference. 
I mean, that'd be an extraordinary press conference with the Russian Deputy Prime Minister Alexander Novak on there. Can you imagine the question that would be coming to him? No, I do think the expectation is that they will roll over this 400,000 barrel a day monthly increase. But I do think that if this crisis intensifies, if there are clear and compelling signs of, you know, serious and ongoing Russian disruptions, I do believe there's a path for countries like Saudi Arabia to step up and put more barrels on this market. Prince Abdelaziz talks about Saudi Arabia's role as a central banker of oil. They see themselves as the custodian of the global economic recovery. Yeah. Yes, there have been strains in the U.S.-Saudi relationship, but I do see a path in the coming weeks if this crisis deepens and gets much, much worse they, for the Saudis to come in. But how much could they put? Yeah, we got to go. I just wonder, yeah. you know, if, if 11 million Russian barrels come off the market or even a Ryan, third of them, is, can this... Can the Saudis make this up is, $3 million a day? I don't know. I don't think so. This is the big challenge we're facing right now. I don't think people thought we'd be facing such a serious fire strike. We don't even have formal energy sanctions on yet. And look what is happening to this market. Yeah, you, you put those sanctions on. As I tweeted out last night, I could see 125 or even higher. Oh. Lima Croft, uh, thanks for getting thank up or, or staying up for us. <laughs> I'll let you go back to bed. Yes. Lima Croft. I'll never tell. Uh, thank you both. Live and... Yeah, live in California. And Lima, thank you. All right, on deck. Get ready to pay more for nearly everything. We just touched on it a bit with Halima. Your morning RBI will show you some of the surging costs that you may not be paying attention to, but you should be. Plus, are there any good discounts on stocks right now? Kate Battis is here with some under-the-radar names to try to help you maybe make some money to pay for all that inflation. We're back after this. Right, welcome back and good morning. Today's RBI is about a topic hit on by President Biden a bit in last night's State of the Union. That is inflation. Inflation, of course, just a $5 word for higher prices. And if you think that prices are high now for a lot of things, just wait. It could easily get worse. Here's why we say that. Yesterday, we saw some big moves in the raw commodities that go into the manufacture of nearly everything. Of course, oil and natural gas. We just talked about that. But wheat Corn, sugar, lumber, and more all on the rise on Tuesday. But those moves, while big, are just a small part of what has been going on under the hood. As we have shown you really on this program in the past year, so many major commodities are soaring in price. In fact, take a look at some of these price increases and keep in mind that these are only this year. Literally two months, our wall of inflation is back. Wholesale gasoline up 45, crude oil up 46, palladium goes into cars up 40%, hogs you want bacon up 30%, wheat you want to make anything up 37, soybeans going to so much up 25%, aluminum 24%, corn, lumber, natural gas all up more than 20%. Many of them at or near all time or inflation adjusted highs and folks remember those moves only this year. And that is not all. There are more things rising as well, like lithium used in electric car batteries. By the way, Rivian just raising prices in part because of input costs. And get this, even old coal left for dead has risen 175% in Dutch trading, meaning electricity costs in Europe are continuing to go up, 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 up. Now, of course, these moves in raw materials don't necessarily mean the prices that you pay will go up as much. Of course, some of that price increase is eaten along the way. Producers take some, middlemen take some, shippers and truckers take some, etc. But no doubt, you will see some price increase, especially in food. Because as we've been talking about since September, 
The price of fertilizer continues to soar, which will impact food prices. And that is no BS. Random, but inflationary. All right, let's welcome in now our friend Kate Fattis of Grace Capital. Kate, uh, welcome. Good to have you on. No doubt inflation is top of mind for you. It is top of mind for your clients. It is, Brian. Inflation, inflation, inflation. I think you nailed it. We were having an inflation problem before. Now with what's going on with energy prices, I think it's going to be absolutely awful. You mentioned commodity prices. It's going to affect emerging markets. It's going to be very tough. Let's talk about some stocks. And we love one of the reasons we love having you on is that you bring it, you bring some under the radar names. And I'm going to say this politely because I actually have some friends that work for this company. And it may be the most boring company in the world, but I mean that right now as a distinct compliment. And that is Church and Dwight. I mean, they make what? Toothpaste. They make uh, Arm and Hammer. I think they make gummy vitamins. Uh, but you know what they do? They print money and they pay a dividend. You got, you got it. Uh, Church and Dwight is one we've owned for a long time. We like it very much. It's a $25 billion market cap, yields 1%. They just announced a 4% dividend increase and stock buyback. Arm & Hammer, OxyClean, Origel, Little Critter Gummy Bears, basic things, other household products. This is one, It's you look at that stock chart, it has delivered year after year. And with everything that's going on, Here's one you got to have in, the, in your portfolio. We got a couple others, Brian. Yeah, it is, and I, and I mean that nicely that they're boring, but but boring but sexy. I think is is right now another name that we don't talk about. I think ever huh, is realty income. A lot of REITs have been whacked. We get it. We always lump REITs in together. It's like, well, you must own an office building, and therefore that's bad because nobody's in an office. Realty income ticker is just the letter O. Very different model. Very different model, 4.3% yield, 38 billion market cap. They pay a monthly dividend. So you're on a fixed income. You want a monthly dividend, buy realty income. They have 6,300 single structure retail spaces, like a McDonald's, you know, Sally's Beauty. No large single tenant. They're not attached to a mall. They pay a monthly dividend. They're boring. They're boring. They're beautiful. We've owned realty income for 20 years. It, it's, it's a fantastic name. And it, again, they deliver year in, year out, year in, year out. Year in, year out. Church and Dwight, realty income. We like it. We're talking about steady flows of cash. Kate Fattis of Grace Capital. Have an awesome day. Thanks for coming on again. We'll see you soon. Take care. Thank you, Brian. All right. And folks, just a reminder, be sure to join us tomorrow. Be sure to join us every day. But tomorrow in particular, you're going to hear our exclusive conversation with legendary bond investor Bill Gross, his first interview in years. We'll talk to us about his new memoir that's out, about what he is seeing in the bond market with the Fed and maybe even which stocks he likes right now. Remember, Bill's been dipping into stocks as well. Haven't heard from him in a while, but you will tomorrow right here on Worldwide Exchange. Well, that does it for us today. We'll see you tomorrow. Squawk is next. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. 
FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. 